Welcome back to He Leadeth Me, a spiritual formation podcast for Focus staff, students, and friends. I'm Jessica, Focus's Manager of Spiritual Formation, and today I'm joined by Father James Brent from the Dominican House of Studies. Thanks for coming back again, Father. It's great to be back with you, Jesse. Thanks for having me on the show. So today I wanted to talk to you about purgatory. I remember in past conversations with you, you told me that there's a crisis of faith in purgatory. Can you tell me more about what you mean by that? Sure. A lot of Catholics don't believe in purgatory anymore. Or if they do believe in purgatory, their faith in purgatory is very slender or weak, uh, and there's a lot of confusion surrounding it. And as a result, they don't pray for the deceased. So what examples have you seen of that in your life as a priest? Well, lots of priests talk about how the custom of requesting masses for the deceased has has waned. There are fewer and fewer people who are going to parishes or to monasteries and asking for masses to be offered for the deceased. So that custom is, is waning. It's still alive, um, but it's just not what it once was by any stretch. And young people in particular seem to be not concerned uh, or not have the habit of requesting masses for the deceased. In other words, it's not a spontaneous, instinctive reaction to someone's passing away to say, oh, I should pray for the repose of this person. I should go and request that a mass be offered for this person's repose. That that custom is on the way. And that instinct is very weak, let's just say. But also, I've seen some situations where a mass card is sent to people. The old custom, it goes back many, many centuries, is that when someone passes away, another person will request a mass to be offered for that person's repose. And then a mass card is sent to the living relatives of the deceased. And it says, a mass has been offered uh, for the repose of the soul of your loved one. And I've actually received letters back from people saying, well, how dare you suggest that my loved one is in purgatory or needs some kind of, you know, purification or or help of some kind. Almost as if it was just a given, we're all going to heaven instantly, when in fact, for those who do die in a state of grace, the vast majority by far are going to pass through purgatory in some way, it seems. Yeah, I think I've seen that even among faithful Catholics, when someone passes away who people really deeply loved, people will say, oh, well, this person, they definitely didn't have any purgatory, you know, they went straight up, so holy. Yeah, that's just not taking into account uh, the possibility of hidden sins. I don't think anyone's really in a position to say that. And if we truly love this person, we want to help them by our prayers. It would seem so. Surely there are certain people who demonstrate uh, a heroic sort of virtue and, and devotion to them grows up. But it seems to me the most people are when they pass from this life, if they're, if they're going to God at all, then they're going to pass through some kind of time in purgatory. I mean, I'm putting quotes that expression. And I think you're right, too, in what you say that people, when they request prayers when someone dies, it's usually prayers that God comforts the family members who are remaining. Right. It's not prayers for the person's repose. That's a very good point. The very fact that we need to pray for the deceased to pass through purgatory, that that person needs help in undergoing 
the purgation process, that, that thought is lost on a lot of people. So maybe you can flesh that out for us a little bit. Why is it that the deceased need our prayers and what exactly is purgatory? That's a good question. In a previous episode, we talked about penances, and that's a related topic. So, and, the, and one of the points that we made is that when we sin, we freely and knowingly do something contrary to the, to the moral law, contrary to what we know is right. And when we do that, we introduce a disorder. We introduce a disorder into a whole series of relations that we have, relations with God, relations with ourselves, and relations with other people. All, all the, that web of relations we could call the order of justice, okay, generally speaking. And so when we sin, we introduce a disorder into this, into the order of justice and into those relations. And the remedy is punishment. Okay, so I know when we hear the word punishment, everyone has like a negative reaction. Oh, no, God doesn't punish. Now, now hold on a second. Hold on a second. God punishes. <laughs> this is a teaching of the church. It's a very elementary principle. And that's a good thing because punishment sets things right. It restores the order of justice. It heals those disorders that have been introduced into the relations by sin. And so if God doesn't punish, the situation would go unhealed, unrectified. And so he does. So, so when we sin, we contract what's called the debt of punishment. I mean, sin deserves punishment. Okay, so we all sin, all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. If any man says he has not sinned, he's a liar. And so we all contract a debt of punishment for our sins. Now, some of that punishment can be um, accepted in this life and, and done through acts of satisfaction. We also talked about what satisfaction is in that episode on penance. Um, so by accepting the penance that a confessor gives you, and by doing additional acts of penance, it is possible to fulfill the debt of punishment, okay? But there often remains either A, some debt of punishment, or B, at least a question about whether the debt of punishment has been fulfilled. When a person dies, but has not fulfilled the debt of punishment for all of his or her sins, the debt of punishment that has added up over the course of a, a lifetime of sin, purgatory is where the punishment is fulfilled at last. Now, that can make it sound like the whole thing is simply about the vindictive, some kind of vindictive justice or not. And so we can start to imagine all sorts of things about purgatory and, and speculate on all kinds of things. So, so maybe we should talk about, you know, what it's like there or how it works or something like that. Yeah. But please. that's the, that's the basic gist of it. It's, it's where the debt of punishment for sin is paid. But we can be of help to those who are undergoing the process of bearing punishment in purgatory. So tell me, what is purgatory like? It's, it's hard to say. I mean, scripture describes it as being purified as through fire. So that image is always there. But we're talking about souls that have been separated from the body. So it's not a physical fire per se. It's going to be some kind of fire-like process that takes place in the soul. Now, if you ask what that's like, uh, what that is specifically, what we can say is, well, we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. 
there is, and we got to be careful about, about visions of mystics or private revelations or and things like that. They're not sources of doctrine. They can be helpful for purposes of our meditation and understanding in, in some way. And St. Catherine of Genoa had a vision of purgatory. The vision of purgatory she had is, is very instructive, I think, and very illuminating. And it seems in some way to coincide very deeply with Pope Benedict XVI's uh, encyclical Space Salvi. In fact, it seems like his account of purgatory in there really seems like he drew from her in some way. I can't prove that, but it seems that way. But the way that she describes it is that well, when a person dies and the soul separates from the body, the person who's in a state of grace begins to go towards God, who's this, this great light, right? Begins to go towards the light. But as the person comes you could say towards the light, the more the person sort of realizes, I'm not ready, I'm not worthy. And and they realize the true condition of their own soul and how unworthy they are to stand in the presence of God and sort of go into the light, I guess you could say. And so the response of these of these souls is to flee the light, so to speak. But it's not like the souls that, are, that go to hell. It's a different situation. This is more of a, a hopeful fling, like I have to do something to get ready uh, or to be prepared to go into the light. Their situation is not like the souls that go to hell. Their situation is a hopeful one. They go away from the light only in order to undergo this this process of punishment precisely in order to um, be freed from all the disordered relations that have been introduced into their into their souls I guess you'd say by by their sins if I remember the vision correctly they go and cast themselves into this sort of lake of fire or something like that but we have to remember that this is not a physical thing because we're talking about souls the main thing that's so difficult for them to bear, is precisely the sense of their own unreadiness or ill-preparedness or unworthiness. They don't have a sense of their own dignity yet. Okay? They, they need to have their sense of their own dignity like restored. That's the way that, that it's sort of described. And once their sense of their dignity or their readiness or their worthiness is sort of restored, then they're like, okay, now I I can go into God. I can go into the light and just be myself and who I am in God. That's how it's depicted in the vision of St. Catherine of Genoa. Now, if I wanted to give someone an analogy from your own experience, though, I would, I would say, think of a situation where you committed some humiliating sin and you were just really ashamed of yourself or embarrassed or uh, something like that. And then you thought, well, I have to go to confession. And you think, oh my gosh, I have to go to confession. I have to expose this sin to another human being, a priest who's going to hear this. And I just don't want that. There's like a, a loathing to, to open up the dark places within our soul uh, to the light. But when we do, and when we go through the the sacrament of penance, when we confess our sins, receive our penance and make satisfaction, there's a way in which we come out of that and sort of come into the light 
Okay, we can raise our heads high again and have a sense of our own dignity and worth and, and go forward in life, or at least we should be able to do that, right? I think the situation for the souls of purgatory is a lot like that. It's like, I have a lifetime of sin. And now they understand the magnitude of their sins and its full consequences and ramifications and repercussions down through history. And they realize I'm just not where I need to be. I'm not in the condition I need to be to go into the light. I need to, we can't say make satisfaction at this point, but, but I need to bear the punishment for this. Yeah. I've never read the revelations to St. Catherine of Genoa, but I have read St. Faustina. And I believe St. Faustina is the one who says that the main suffering in purgatory is just people's longing for God and longing for the beatific vision, because that's what they're being prepared for. St. Catherine of Genoa says the same thing. That's fascinating. So that's, that's a real suffering. And we want to be able to help these souls how can we help them? We pray for them and we, we can offer sacrifices for them. We can seek indulgences and, and apply those indulgences to the souls in purgatory. Um, that's a forgotten practice. Yeah. Let's and pause there. Let's talk about indulgences. Okay. Well, that's a whole another topic all of its own. Uh, but yes, there's things we can do there. Uh, and the church has a, a system of indulgences that's in place where we can undertake uh, penances, and then we can obtain indulgences that can be applied to souls in purgatory. So I think one of the questions that people have about indulgences, especially if they're trying to get an indulgence for the souls in purgatory, yes. is why do some of them have days attached to them? That's regarding the old system of indulgences that's no longer in place where specific sins had penitential days assigned to them. But that system is no longer in place. Now what's in place is there's partial indulgences and plenary indulgences, which is a plenary indulgence being a complete remission of all temporal punishment due to sin, a partial indulgence being a partial remission of the punishment due to sin. And so I, is that I, referring just, to just one sin or like all sins? Um, all sins, like all, all punishment. Yeah, a plenary indulgence would be a remission of all punishment due to all sins. So how could we get souls in purgatory of plenary indulgence? Well, there's a system of plenary, there's a system of indulgences that lays out, here's ways you can obtain plenary indulgences under these conditions. That really deserves another conversation of its own. We need to go to the sacrament of penance within a short period of time. Uh, usually it's understood a couple of weeks. We need to go to mass, receive Holy Communion for the sake of obtaining the indulgence. We need to pray for the intentions of the Holy Father, and we need to undertake one of the assigned works. Some works, some assigned works that can obtain plenary indulgences are holy hours, stations of the cross, saying the rosary together in a group, or 30 minutes of Lexio Divina, just to name a few. Pilgrimages to shrines and other places that have plenary indulgences attached to them is another way. But if you think about it, every if every focused missionary does a holy hour every day, they could obtain a plenary indulgence every day for someone, themselves included. The church is very generous in granting plenary indulgences at this point in time. But maybe the best way to pray, in fact, I'm certain the best way to pray for the souls in purgatory is by offering the sacrifice of the Mass for them, or really going to request that the sacrifice of the Mass be offered for that person. There is no prayer in the church, even close, really, in value 
to the sacrifice of the Mass. So it's really when we offer Masses for souls in purgatory that they are advanced through the process, let's say, uh, whatever that process consists of or however it works on the other side, um, they're advanced through that process by the sacrifice of the Mass that's offered for them. And we can offer Masses for the souls in purgatory in different ways. We can offer the Mass for the repose of the soul of particular individuals, like my grandfather and my grandmother. We can offer the repose of the soul for certain groups of individuals, like all of my deceased ancestors in the last three generations or something like that. We could offer Masses for all the members of a religious institute. There's a special category called uh, poor souls. That is all the souls in purgatory who have no one actively praying for them right now on earth. Um, so you can offer souls for, I'm sorry, offer masses for poor souls. You can offer masses for the poorest souls in purgatory. You can offer masses for uh, all of those souls that the Blessed Virgin Mary has in mind at this time. Uh, there's different ways we can do it, and people have done all these things down through history. Yeah, I've seen before people offering rosaries or masses for the souls in purgatory who have no one else to pray for them. Yes. And I think in our day, that's like almost all of them. Right, I think there's a crisis in purgatory. I think there's far fewer people on earth praying for the souls in purgatory than there has been in a long time. And, um, but at the same time, the earth is more populous than ever with more people passing away every day than ever before. So we really do need to start to think it is part of our Catholic walk. It is an ordinary, normal part of our Catholic life together that we are praying for the souls in purgatory. And I remember hearing accounts from different mystics and things of how grateful those souls are. Like there's a story about Padre Pio where occasionally his brothers in the monastery would get to see different things that would happen to him. And one night, one of the brothers is walking through the monastery and there's a courtyard and there are all these soldiers that are chanting like, que viva Padre Pio. And they're just cheering Padre Pio on. And this brother is like, okay, who are these people? They really need to go to bed. It's late. And then he goes to Padre Pio to talk about it. And Padre Pio tells him, oh, those are holy souls. They're soldiers. And I prayed for them and they got out of purgatory. So they're celebrating and they're thanking me. There you go. That's the, the prayer life of Padre Pio for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And yet those souls are so grateful because they finally get to enter into the beatific vision. That's the joy of their hearts. And I think once they do enter into the beatific vision, it's a reasonable expectation, I think, that they would pray for, for us and for the people that helped them to get through that phase of their journey. So, if you pray for the souls in purgatory, you will literally make friends in heaven. Uh, you will you will help people enter into the heavenly light, and they will become intercessors for you. So it stands to reason, and um, you can you can expect or be hopeful for graces to come to you through their intercessory prayer. Now, that might be a little bit of a selfish motive for doing so, but uh, perfect charity would want to help them for. For their sake and for God's sake, but uh, our charity is not always perfect. So if you don't do it for God and you don't do it for them, at least do it for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a great deal to me. 
Well, I think the one thing that I want people to take away from this episode is to pray for the holy souls. We have to really start praying for the holy souls in purgatory, the poor souls in purgatory, priests in purgatory, bishops in purgatory, all kinds of I mean, all the men who we brought up, the soldiers that died in war, if you just think of all the men who have died in warfare over the last century, I mean, that's just an incredible number to try to, it's staggering to think about. So we just really need to be praying and praying, and it will make a difference to the church in heaven, which will in turn make a difference to the church on earth. Yeah, I remember a priest who was really involved in deliverance ministry telling me that when we pray for our deceased family members who are in purgatory, that automatically helps us because we tend to think about our connections to our family, how they affect us when they're on earth, and yet we don't think about them when they're in purgatory, and we're still all connected as a body of Christ. And when we help them, that automatically helps the whole body. I think so. As goes back to that web of relations I was talking about earlier in the order of justice. Yeah, every, every human being is involved in that order of justice in some way. And so we can, we can be part of the process of setting things right in the world overall, where world means heaven and purgatory and earth combined. We can be part of the process of setting things right by praying for the souls in purgatory. Well, this is a really interesting conversation about purgatory, Father James. Do you have any final thoughts before we close? I think I would like to urge everyone who's listening to this, especially missionaries and especially young people, to start to develop that kind of instinctive reaction that used to be much more common among Catholics, which is when you hear that someone has passed away, the first thing that should occur to you is, I need to have some masses said for this person. I need to pray for this person or seek indulgences for this person and do something to help this person. That needs to be the first reaction, not just for the consolation of the family on earth, but for the soul of the person who's going through purgatory. That needs to become an instinctive, spontaneous reaction uh, once again. That's a very good point. Well, thank you for joining us to talk about purgatory today. My joy. Thanks for having me. Could you close us in a blessing? Of course. Heavenly God bless you and all of your listeners. May the precious blood of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ come down upon you. Cleanse your minds and hearts. And may you receive many lights and insights and many graces and inspirations to begin praying for the souls in purgatory, uh, seeking indulgences on their behalf and requesting masses for the repose of their souls. May the peace and blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come down on you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Father James. Amen.